Welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, where it's all about educating and motivating creative pros and entrepreneurs from around the world with simple and easy to implement ideas. And of course, helping you create something awesome today. And now, welcome your host. He is the founder of Founder of Awesome Creator Academy, a YouTube educator, and the biggest Star Wars nerd you'll ever meet, Roberto Blake. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. This is your host, Roberto Blake, helping you create something awesome today. Welcome back to the show. Uh, So today's topic is rather spicy. We're going to be talking a bit about Twitter, and I'm going to be making a somewhat uh, tongue-in-cheek argument for why maybe, just maybe, hear me out, what if we were all better off deleting Twitter? Just... Marinate on that for a second. We're also going to be having uh, some tunes on this podcast from uh, my music label, Zen Buster Music, which you can find at youtube.com slash Zen Buster. Highly encourage you to check that out for some very nice music. You can also find that on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, I believe, and basically anywhere else that music can be found. Uh, You can stream that for free on basically all of the platforms. Now, hear me out on this one. Twitter. Twitter is one of the most popular social media platforms in the land. Like, absolutely. Hands down. Twitter's founder and former CEO, Jack Dorsey, who's literally a genius, has left Twitter to focus on Bitcoin and his company Square, which is being rebranded, I believe, to Block. That's very interesting to me. Okay? Now, those of you who may not be familiar with this, I'm an OG Twitter user. When I say an OG Twitter user, I mean that literally when Twitter was just a texting app on your phone, an SMS messenger-based site, Like, not even like a downloadable app per se, right? I'm a Twitter user from way back in the day. Like, I think I've been on Twitter for over 10 years now. I think it's possible that I've been on Twitter for over 10 years. So I'm an OG Twitter user. I'm familiar with what the culture of Twitter was. And I've been on the internet since the 90s. I'm 37. I'll be 38 later this year. So... I've been around. I know that the internet culture has had a long history and relationship with straight up being toxic. And a lot of that even stems from the culture of anonymity in the internet. Back in my day, back in my day in the 90s, everything was different, right? So back in the 90s, for those of you who might be a little young for this, no one really shared their real name on the internet. True story. We were all told never to uh, disclose anything personal about ourselves at all on the internet. And we didn't use our real names. And we basically had this this fear of um, our identities being compromised, people, um, you know, hunting you down at your house uh, or your job and doing something terrible to you, especially, uh, you know, if you're a young person, if you're a teenager or a child. And that was the uh, fear that we grew up with back in the 90s when we were filing up, firing up the old 56K modem. 
you know, so we, um, back in those days of AOL, GeoCities, Yahoo, Lycos, there was no such thing as being like publicly facing on the internet and being out there or being like a public figure, having a personal brand. That was not something one did in the 90s. Your real face, your real name, none of that was out there. It was a closely guarded secret on the internet. And so this was what it was like back in the day. And that was largely based on the idea that, you know, doing things on the internet could have real world consequences. And the overwhelming concern back then is that they would mostly be negative consequences and that almost no real good could come of, you know, having your public identity online. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. In the, uh, 2000s, you know, the 2010s, 2020s, that stopped being a thing. And what we started doing was we absolutely started using our real names and putting ourselves out there in our real face. And it turns out that if you didn't, like today, you'd be considered much less uh, trustworthy, much less authentic. Um, you know, it would be radically um, weird in many cases to like not know somebody's like real name. And to like trust them, whether that's trust them with information, be vulnerable with them, do a transaction, any number of things, right? And and we respect people who put their real name and their real face out there because with their real name and their real face out there, there's some level of transparency, some level of accountability, some level of trust by having somebody's real name, real face, real voice, right? There's trust, there's accountability, there's transparency, the culture of the internet has gotten much weirder since I was a young person, now uh, a not-so-young person. <laughs> and the reason I say it's gotten really weird is because accountability only applies to certain people. And so what do I mean by that? I mean that um, you know anonymous people um, on the internet have a tremendous amount of power, particularly on platforms like Twitter. And so... There's there's a lot of power in that anonymity because you're then allowed to hold other people who are public facing, who put their real name, real face, real voice out there. But you're not held to the same standard because if you're held accountable, you can just delete your account, delete something like Twitter, spin up another account, spin up another faceless identity. You might already have one. You could have any number of faceless, unaccountable identities. You could um, – so as much criticism, chaos, accuse anyone of anything, you can spread any misinformation you want, you can slander people, and there are no ways and mechanisms to hold you accountable because you'll just spin up another faceless account. And so that's a problem. It's a very, very big problem with the nature of how social media and the dynamics of social media have changed. And basically a war between those who are public facing or even verified or not that just have their real name and real face out there, whether they're verified or not, versus anonymous people who have the luxury of both anonymity while calling for accountability. Now, this is just a personal point of view. I think to call for accountability while being protected by anonymity shouldn't be giving any credibility at all and make somebody a hypocrite. And I mean that you can't ask for people to be held accountable when you're not held accountable and there's no mechanism to hold you accountable.
and the, the reason I say that is, well, what do we do if you um, get something wrong? Let's say that you make claims with no evidence or you falsify that evidence. We live in a world where deep fakes exist. We live in a, way, a world where any number of mechanisms exist to where the lie can spread and go viral because it's much more interesting. There'll be stories written about a lie um, or even a truth that may not be the whole of the truth. And I'm not even talking about a specific instance here because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to also future-proof the podcast to make it as evergreen as possible. So this is not about any trending story. This is actually just literally about the last 10 years of social media, to be honest with you. This is about whatever the last 10 years of social media has looked like so that we can keep the podcast evergreen. And the the thing is, well, what the, the thing is the, tr the lie will make it halfway around the world before the truth makes it off of first base or the correction makes it off of first base. This is something that a uh, news commentator, Phil DeFranco has talked about over and over and over again. And he's somebody who's been in the online world, especially uh, the YouTube world, almost since the very beginning of YouTube, I, I would say. So he's been at this for about 15, 16 years. And so he's like a really good example of understanding the problem here, right? And, and the issue that I have what I think about Twitter in particular is I've been around and Twitter didn't always used to be like this. Twitter had its elements of toxicity, but largely that was just people being stupid on the internet or being teenagers on the internet. And, and so what I'm finding is I'm finding people literally resurfacing uh, stupid teenagers tweets from 10 or five years ago before they were even legal adults in many cases and holding it accountable for them during their career as adults, as if they're the, remotely the same person, just because they hold the same name, face, and identity and occupy the same body, as if they're the same person. At 38 years old, at 38 years old, I find it reprehensible to hold somebody that didn't commit a crime accountable for things they thought or said or did 10 years ago, when the legal statute of limitations for some actual crimes is much less than that. We don't literally hold people accountable, maybe rightfully so, by the way, for some crimes, very minimal ones, uh, in terms of their statute of limitations for, for even like a couple of years, right? But you can be held accountable for thoughts and tweets and words you probably typed into a phone while on the toilet bowl five to 10 years ago. That's other nonsense. That's absurd. And nobody doing that should be taken seriously, have a shred of credibility. And it's ridiculous and farcical and an embarrassment to our entire culture and civilization that we take that seriously and don't dismiss it as what it is, a load of crap. And, I, and I'm, I'm saying that, you know, somewhat tongue in cheek is saying, again, most tweets are probably done on the toilet at this point. And so if someone wants to bring up what you tweeted five or 10 years ago while you were on the can. It's probably something we should all be dismissive of as a load of crap because it, it's immaterial. It's not who you are today and it doesn't affect us. It's meaningless. And, and if we've become a culture and a society that has so few material problems and concerns that we can get emotionally invested and and really feel deeply hurt 
and emotional and feel that what someone tweeted five, 10, 15 years ago, hell, six months ago, is a problem that demands our immediate concern, attention, and outrage. If we genuinely feel that in our heart of hearts, first of all, everybody should be getting free therapy if that's the case because we have a much bigger problem. And then two, if we're so in such a decadent state and we don't have real material problems that demand much more of our energy and much more of our attention, then I don't know what we are complaining about if we have reached the apex pinnacle of our society to where tweets demand this much energy and emotional concern. Like if this is really in our top 10 list of things that matter, if someone's tweets from six months ago, six years ago, 16 years ago are in the top 10 of our concerns in a day, we don't have enough problems and we ain't have enough struggles and we don't have enough challenges in our life. And we've reached the actual apex of decadence and being spoiled. And maybe it's just the, the 38 year old in me as an old millennial channeling some of that tremendous boomer energy right now that thinks that this is nonsense and that this is, should not be anybody's top five or top 10 of concerns. There are like actual material problems in the world that are important. There are actual material problems in people's lives that are important. And what somebody tweeted or posted to social media five months ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, ain't one of them. It's not. And anybody who thinks that it is probably could benefit tremendously. I'm not a professional here, but I would imagine that someone in, that believes that could benefit tremendously from therapy because there's a deeper issue if that's the case. And that's just one person's, one man's personal opinion. That's just one man's personal opinion. But I, I would make a strong case for it. I really would. Because I, I think that, and people would say, well, Roberto, we can care about two things at once. No, you can't. <laughs> Not typically if you want to get results about those things, which means if you want results, if you want results, then that would be what caring looks like. And caring means making something a priority. And it's very difficult to have multiple priorities. Most people are single taskers. Most people like to entertain the idea that they're multitaskers, justifies their procrastination, justifies them coming up short, justifies their shortcomings and failures. Most people are single taskers and cannot focus on, give energy to, or care about two things equally simultaneously. It does not work and it's not reflected in the results in their life. And the thing is, I also think it's a problem that if you actually legitimately have people in your life that are deserving of that five minutes. If you, I don't know, here's the thing. Even with me, even with me, I keep thinking about the future. What is my social media activity? What is my business activity? What does my career look like when I'm married and I have children? How do I justify the time that I spend on a platform like Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook in the, in the future of the world where I hopefully have a child? How do I take five minutes away from uh, playing with my child to be on Instagram? The easy answer is, well, well, when they're asleep, right? Or when they're doing something else, right? Um, so that would be like a really good way to think about it. Okay. What about my spouse? What about my partner? What about my future wife? What do I do in terms of spending uh, more time on social media than with her in that situation, right? If that's the case, I can justify it when it's a business thing, when it's uh, dealing 
to some extent with my community, my audience, when it's a part of my business and a part of my responsibilities, I can rationalize that. I can justify that. So that would make sense. But if I'm going to be on social media for the purposes of quote unquote, holding perfect strangers accountable, finding a reason to be outraged, finding a reason to be angry. It's not a justifiable expenditure of my time that I can take away from a child or a spouse or a family member or my other relationships or people who would love an encouraging word from me. It's not a very good justification of my energy. It's a very selfish thing uh, to do. Frankly, it's a very not healthy thing to do, to do. It's not good or healthy for me in any imaginable way. I wouldn't be accomplishing any material good in the world by making somebody else feel bad about something they did a long time ago, something that for all I know, they've already paid for in some way, shape or form. I don't believe anyone gets away with anything. I really don't. We make ourselves feel better by thinking that we're exacting some justice on behalf of the universe. It doesn't need our help. Father time and mother nature don't need our help. The cosmos do not need any of us to be out here being a hero of justice and actually isn't good for us and it's not good for anybody. It doesn't really make uh, you know, a meaningful, positive difference in the world to think that you're doing something with this. And I know people will go, well, what about this? Or what about that? What about It's like, if you believe that the universe needs your help, it's absolute hubris or arrogance, in my opinion, to think that. Because what if, all right, what if you did have other priorities? Or what if you weren't online that day? What if you were at your job? Or what if you were sick? What if you're in the hospital? You mean the universe is absolutely dependent on you to be here right now to be a part of this? No. That is arrogant to think. At least that's how I think about it. I, I think that that's the height of supreme arrogance to think that you're that special in that way. In most cases, in most cases, because it's probably not true. It's probably not true. Here's what I here's what I will say about the concept of accountability. I think the platforms could do a better job of accountability in terms of enforcing the rules and terms of service in their platform and being consistent across how they enforce their rules in terms of service. I also think they could be a lot better about clarifying their terms of service, being more specific in their examples, and again, applying them consistently. And that would encourage trust. And I think they need to be more transparent about how these things have been applied and what happens, especially uh, when it's very um, involved or very controversial. And I think we don't have that accountability from the platforms. And since we don't have – if we're going to talk about accountability in social media, I think that conversation begins with the platforms. And I think it begins with how policy is determined, how policy is communicated, how policy is monitored, and how policy is enforced. And I think it's within our rights as the users that enable these platforms to demand that level of transparency – I think it's very important that we do so. I also do have a problem with the idea, however, of platforms collaborating or colluding with regard to unilateral mirrored policies across the board. And here's the reason, because it sounds good in theory, but here's the problem I have. Viva la différence. Viva la différence, right? Like you need to have options 
as far as these platforms so that if one isn't serving your needs, the other one might. You need some to say that if I don't agree with this platform, its choices, its policies, its execution, or the community or the culture within those platforms, I need a place that I can go that is more suited to me and that offers me something else. And that's a very important thing for platforms to not all be the same and to not all have unilateral, ubiquitous rules across the board. There can be standards, there can be best practices, there can be uh, similarities in features. A lot of features are ubiquity. But users should be able to have the choice of choosing different lived experiences online as digital citizens in the same way that at least here in America, if you don't like the way that one state operates and you have the means, you can move to another state that's more suited to your needs, has a culture or values that are more consistent with what you want, or offers different opportunities that are for a different stage in a different place in your life. And I believe as digital citizens, we should have the right to be able to move from platform to platform based on our needs changing and our desires changing and our um, values changing over a period of time or just based on um, wanting something different for whatever reason. Uh, we should have those options as digital citizens. We should also have transparency from the platforms that we exist in as digital citizens. But we also should, uh, I think, have the ability to know that we can exist in these platforms and coexist in these platforms with people who don't always share our same beliefs and our same values, because we have to do that in the world. And a lot of people don't think about that. A lot of people are very, I would say, short-sighted about the way that they're behaving right now in social media and the culture of social media, and forgetting that at some point you do have to live in a world and coexist in a world with people you disagree with. And that just because, in the same way that people are digging up uh, people's stuff on Twitter from five months, five years, 10 years ago, and all these things. In 10 or 20 years, there are people that are going to be hurt by a lot of these things, or even just in five years, there are going to be people who are hurt by what's happening now. And while people may have moved on, they're not going to move on and they're going to remember. And the thing is, those material consequences might exist in the real world in some way, shape, or form, in some way, shape, or form. Right now, the culture and behavior of the way people act on Twitter and somebody that you like rake over the coals right now, that's a young person. Let's say you rake someone who's 21 years old over the coals right now and cancel them right now for something that they tweeted when they were a teenager. They're not going to forget that. And the thing is, you can't guarantee that you've completely destroyed them. In 10 or 15 years, if they ever are a sitting member of Congress, they won't forgive or forget that. And I think about that almost every day. Every single day, I actually think about the idea that right now, there's a kid that's being bullied or harassed or canceled in Twitter. And people think it's fun now, and it's fun today, and it's cute today. And I have no idea how that shapes the experiences the life and the psyche of that individual. And then what happens if that person becomes a sitting member of Congress or one of our lawmakers 10, 15, 20 years from now? We have no idea what those experiences will do to shape their, their thoughts, right? And that terrifies me. That terrifies me quite a bit to think about that. 
there is a real chance that we will see massive shifts in the way we think, the way we communicate, the things we believe in over the next five, 10 years. But we're sowing the seeds right now of how people are going to move forward in their life in a way that we can't take back. Now, what we, we do a bad enough job of this when we're face to face with people. We do a terrible job. We do a terrible job when we're face to face with people, sometimes of not um, being kind enough, being thoughtful enough. And we say things that people, you know, live with. I remember horrible things that people said and did to me when I was a kid and a teenager. Those things stuck with me. I didn't forget. They shaped me. They scarred me. They had an impact on who I am today. I'll never forget. There was a there was a professor once that um, shamed me basically for being poor. He was like, if you can't afford to buy the materials, why did you take the course? I've never forgotten it. I've never forgotten it. There are a number of other stories like that, by the way. I've never forgotten. If I still remember that about... I say 18 years after the fact. And I'll never forget it, by the way. If I remember that 18 years later, and I will say that it defined a lot of my career and a lot of the things I do today. I can just imagine how some of the experiences that people have had on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, the YouTube comment section are going to shape who they are and not for the better. And not for the better. And I think it's a problem. I think it's a problem. And I think that we need to be very thoughtful about how we choose to live as digital citizens in the online space. Because the lack of having a face-to-face, -face, a real heart-to-heart, -heart, the lack of uh, physical intimacy and also um, physical threat and insecurity removes a lot of our consideration for pause, thoughtfulness, empathy, kindness, but also consequences of direct negative interaction. The possibility of a confrontation in the real world going negative um, and also the added physical embarrassment that goes with that and our, our social cues and different various things like that all hold us accountable in the moment to considering and weighing our words very differently. When you're online and you're anonymous, you feel invincible and you feel like you can say anything you want. When you're online, even if you're not anonymous, because you can't really be physically harmed in this moment, sometimes you feel more free or more loose with your speech or what you're saying or what you're doing. And it's not a good thing. But the thing is, should there be such dramatic, harsh and everlasting consequences for it. And I think the answer to that is no. But the thing is, we've created a culture that disagrees with that. And I think it's a shame because I came from a culture because I grew up before social media to where the stupid indiscretions of your teenage years and your 20s are forgiven, forgotten, and lost to time. They're lost to time. And I'm the last generation who can say that because um, all these social media platforms, they came up after I was 21. So I grew up in an era where all of my mistakes, all of my indiscretions, all of my stupid thoughts, all of those things are largely lost to time. 
And so is the most part, for the most part, every single other person older than me. Social media, thank God, didn't exist for very long before I had a fully developed cerebral cortex, okay? Which means that my capacity for judgment was not um, still being formulated fully when the ability to post every shallow, vapid, or stupid thought you have for the world to see, thinking that, well, I will never be big, so no one cares, um, only for it to come back and haunt you later <laughs> at the peak of your career. Uh, yeah, that didn't exist. That vulnerability did not exist. That liability did not exist. We need much more grace and tolerance in a world where we're going to scar young people for life, and we're going to live with the consequences of the fact that they have to exist. People have to exist for another 50 or 60 years in the world after we are done using them as an emotional punching bag on Twitter and Facebook and TikTok and YouTube. And you want to think you're giving people consequence because people say, well, it's not cancel culture, it's consequences. Do you really want to live with the consequences for what's done when mass harassment, regardless of how you justify it, is done to a human being? Because we've seen consequences for that in the real world when people are bullied too. We've seen that in many, many different ways manifest. And sometimes we have to live in a world where, um, again, people grow up and they take it out on other people. And we have to live in a world where these people exist for another like 40, 50, 60 years. It's probably a really bad idea to um, be punishing people, especially young people, especially young people online for just being stupid 20-something-year-olds. It's probably a really bad idea. Even for adults that are in their 30s and 40s, it's probably a bad idea to judge a person that has had decades of lived experience over something they posted on Twitter in all likelihood while they were on the toilet. It's probably a terrible idea to reduce the entirety of someone's 30, 40, or 50 years of lived experience thousands upon thousands of interactions doing the right thing 99 times out of 100 on one damn tweet or a dozen tweets out of 100,000. It's probably the most absurd, ridiculous moral standard that anyone could come up with. And I believe that anything, anyone trying to justify reducing a person's character and fiber down to 20 tweets over their entire lifetime of lived experience, anyone who thinks that that's a good idea, in my personal, uh, non-professional, non-clinical opinion, is probably insane. They are probably an insane lunatic that is terminally online. And that's probably the harshest thing I've ever said about uh, a, a, an imaginary, contrived person on this podcast, but I believe that. I believe that anyone who takes a person's entire decades of lived life and decides to make uh, 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 an assertion about the entirety of their character and moral fiber on 10 or 20 tweets is terminally online and probably unwell. I know that's harsh and I know that's not what I usually, I would not usually go there, but like I'm that, I feel that strongly about it. I feel that strongly about it because it is insanity. It's insanity 
we were taught better than this in the generation that I grew up with. We were taught don't judge a book by its cover. And that's supposed to teach you many things, but it's supposed to teach you about the idea that a surface level impression, it's a deeper idea. It's not just vanity. It's not just to teach people not to be conceited. It's not just to teach people not to be bigoted. It is a deeper lesson to not judge a book by its cover. Do not mistake surface level impressions for depth. Do not take vanity and vapid shallow things and then make the mistake of believing you have a depth or breadth of understanding of anything or anyone. That is the deeper idea, but aside from not judging a book by its cover, a book that has depth to it, hundreds upon hundreds of pages and thoughtfulness being judged at a surface level denotes your own immaturity, impatience, and lack of of thoughtfulness, understanding, and your desire to ascertain truth and verify and confirm truth through taking the time to have an experience and to be curious and to be thoughtful. That is the deeper notion of not judging a book by its cover. For you to presume that you know the contents of something by judging it at a glance denotes your own ignorance. Because how could you know? And it's most likely that upon examination, you'll be made to look foolish because you decided to take at a glance the surface level thing presented to you and then convey your understanding of the depth of it without anything to back that up whatsoever. And upon examination, you'll be found wanting. You'll be found to be foolish for doing that because those two things will not be consistent. They will not be congruent. It's arrogance. It's lazy. It's not the least bit thoughtful or considerate or giving anything its due diligence. And the thing is, that, that also hurts you. People don't consider. That also hurts you to not have the understanding of something before making assumptions or making not only assumptions, but then assertions and taking those out into the world. What do you do when someone comes back to you and says, you know what? You told me about this person or you told me about this situation. I took you at your word. I didn't do my research. I put that notion forward and then I was held accountable for spreading misinformation or slander or not doing my research, and I was embarrassed. But it's because I took you at your word because I thought that you did the research. I thought you understood the assignment. I thought you were a credible, trustworthy person, and it turns out you weren't. You let me down. Well, what do you do when you put someone in the situation? What do you do when you put someone in the situation where you've judged a book by its cover or you judge somebody on a limited amount of information or context they go forward with that off of you only to be embarrassed or called out or fact-checked. What do you do when somebody comes back to you and says, you let me down? Like, see, people don't think it through. People do not think any of this through. Twitter as a platform used to be really great. And I still kind of love Twitter in the sense that I love that I can communicate with my audience there. I love that I can communicate with friends there, 
um, in a much easier way than I can in other platforms very easily. I love some of our public thought conversations, but every tweet's a liability and every tweet causes most of my friends anxiety because even when they're tweeting something vapid or that they think is just funny or clever or cute, um, they're taking the risk that somebody is going to find a reason to be offended. And no matter how absurd or insane they are to be offended over something innocuous or vapid or stupid, because this person's a public figure or a content creator or an influencer or whatever, they're going to have to be held accountable for it by people that it has no material impact for if they just chose to move on with their life and ignore it. Because it is not nothing that is tweeted by somebody needs to be one of your top five priorities or concerns that are right in front of you in the world. In most cases, not even in your top 10 or top 20. That's just the truth. Uh, Malevolent Elephant uh, Curtis says, but people are accountable for what they say, right? Freedom of speech isn't freedom from consequences, I thought. Could be wrong. What consequences, though? Let's talk about that. I want to explore this idea. In the real world, if you say something, you're held accountable in real time for what you said by the people that were present or you are not. What doesn't happen is that people that weren't there or that it wasn't said to don't have the ability to bring up or relitigate what you said in perpetuity forever. In the natural real world, there are material consequences to everything you do. That's why I say no one gets away with anything. In the real world, there are natural material consequences. Typically, they happen more immediately or they happen directly, and we can literally draw a line back to, okay, you did this, and then this other thing happened. There are natural consequences for everything we say and do in the world, in the real world. In the real world, there are natural immediate and often immediate, not, not always, but often immediate consequences, or there are natural direct consequences for what we do. Action and reaction, equivalent exchange, all of it. No one gets away with anything. There's a natural course of events that happens as a result of what you do. Nothing that you do goes void. Okay. That's how the, the material world actually works. Here's the problem. On social media platforms and places like Twitter, we contrive consequences that don't exist in the material world. We are contriving consequences that exist that do not exist in the material world. Remember, in the real world, you will not be held accountable for things you said three, five, or ten years ago because that is insane. That is insane. I want every single one of you to imagine a friend or a family member bringing up you something you said 10 years ago, five years ago, throwing it in your face and demanding recompense from you today, you would tell them they are acting like a crazy person. You would not entertain that idea at all. Those of you who are adults that have young people in your life, you have no intention of punishing a 20-something-year-old or for something they did when they were 15, Right? Those of you who know people who are 25 or 30, you have no intention of punishing them for something they said or did when they were 21, right? Because you're not a crazy person. 
because you're not a crazy person. And here's the thing. If I found out today that my brother or my sister said something mean behind my back 10 years ago, five years ago, eight months ago, I'm going to be real with you. I probably don't care. Now, that's just me personally. I probably don't care. I probably don't care. If I find out um, that was in passing, not something they went and bought a billboard for, that, um, you know, my ex-girlfriend said something mean about me, like an ex-girlfriend from like high school or college says something mean about me, I don't care. I don't care. Like, for real, I don't. Don't care. And that's like actual people in my life. If I find out that like my parents said something mean about me um, because like I, I was being a prick like 10 years ago, five years ago. I don't really care because it, it has no bearing on today. Not only that, well, that was then. I could see the video footage of them saying it and I probably don't care. I have no intention of exacting a price or some kind of vengeance for them for that and calling that accountability or calling that consequences. And the thing is, most of you are probably reasonable people who don't feel that way either. So here's my thing. I don't really care about things that don't affect me or affect me today or now that people have said in a meaningful way um, that don't have any real natural long-term consequences, especially if they didn't have any consequences then that impacted me either. Nor do I really need something to happen to people for like, you know, for any of that. And, and I'm being dead serious here. And again, there will be, and by the way, this is not even about anything specific today. Cause again, evergreen podcast, this is literally for the next 10 years. Right. But uh, like, like, but for real. And the, the reason I say that is because here is what I think when it comes to accountability, what we know, you know, we learned this from our parents, you know, we learned this from our parents. When our parents see that we've done something wrong, they try to correct us in the moment. And they try to correct us in such a way that's not, if, if we're being raised by thoughtful and kind parents who want the best for us and not abusive parents. Um, and again, I'm speaking as a child and not as a parent here. Most of us who um, are a bit older, let's say over 25 or let's say, right? We can probably appreciate this now in a way we couldn't when we were younger. When our parents are thinking of us and they're looking out for us and they're trying to do the best for us, they correct us in the moment as quickly and immediately as possible because they know that the lesson will not have the impact and will not be a teachable moment if they don't. They know that if they are punitive to us retroactively after the fact that we can't process it as a lesson to be learned and applied if it's well after the fact. That's why they try, if they are thoughtful and they're trying to do right by us and the best for us, they deal with us as quickly as possible relative to the offense. And if we're if they're very thoughtful, they do it in a way where we understand and it's conveyed why something was wrong, what the impact of it and the material harm actually is, and the consequence that we get is proportionate to the offense. And then that's the end of it 
and we move forward and we're taught a better behavior. That's what teaching is. That's what accountability is because it's also for the sake of bettering the other person. That's what accountability is. Punishment, punitive, um, reductive things have nothing to do with making you better and they have nothing to do with actual accountability. What that is is you just feeling like you've exacted justice and there's no such thing. We make it up. It's vengeance. We make it up because you can't balance the scales. You can't wrong. You can't make a right wrong. What's done is done. You can't undo the damage that you did. You can't undo the hurt that you did. You can't really do that. There's no way to really make someone whole that you've wronged. Not really. You can apologize. You can give recompense. Nothing truly makes you square. You have to understand that that's true. If you've ever been wronged, you know that. Nothing really evens it out. So anything beyond, let's say, making somebody truly accountable by acknowledging the wrongdoing and then making it into a teachable moment and lesson, anything beyond that is just punitive. And that's not and, – and you could argue some of that's preventative too, but is it? Um, we don't – like I don't know that we have a good case for that. And I, I'll bring up – and again, I'm not, I'm not purporting to be an expert, but I'll bring up even the knowledge of when we talk about accountability and hurt. Well, let's talk about um, criminal justice reform. Something I support is that I think that we're excessively punitive in our American criminal justice system. And most people today actually are coming around on that train of thought, surprisingly. Many people agree that we're way, way too punitive on a lot of things, especially nonviolent uh, drug offenders. I'm not trying to make this political, but I'm making a point. We are more forgiving, I think, in today's culture of material harm that people do by committing actual crimes that we have laws for than we are for the theoretical or imagined harm or offense that people cause with their words or post on social media. We're much more forgiving of somebody literally committing an actual crime. And we have a, we have a statute of limitations that's much shorter for most of the actual crimes that we have on the books. We probably have a shorter statute of limitations for that than we have on social media for like accountability and demanding that people pay for things. Like, you see what I'm saying? It's like, think about it. You can, if 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 you do um, some kind of, you know, uh, poor behavior and you're arrested and you do your appropriate sentence, we're considered completely wrongheaded to keep holding that over you after you've served your time and done your sentence or after even enough time has passed, going after you is considered not appropriate after a certain amount of time has passed. That's not true in social media, and actual crimes haven't been committed for the most part when we're talking about that, right? So how do we square that? How do we rationalize the idea that we need and demand accountability, punitive damages, or justice for things like tweets in a way that are not consistent with how we pursue actual crimes that might include true, real-world, measurable material harm versus theoretical harm or offense that could largely someone could choose to not be offended or choose to ignore or choose to unfollow or choose to not react to. You can choose to not react to social media. You can't choose as easily to not react to material harm done in the real world. But we have 
more grace for material harm, real material harm. We have more grace for that than we do for tweets. I personally know people who are more forgiving and like still have relationships with people they've had actual fistfights with, but will not forgive people for tweets or content that they've posted. That doesn't seem like a healthy relationship with social media. I think we – I don't know how – and I'm an advocate for social media, and I don't believe in demonizing technology. I'm just in this weird, conflicted place where I'm not sure most people today have the capacity for a healthy relationship with social media. I'm not sure most people have the the bandwidth, the discipline, and – uh, that includes influencers. That might even include me. Do we really have the capacity for a healthy relationship with these platforms? I'm not sure anymore. I keep questioning it. I keep questioning it. Some people have actually realized that they have a social media addiction and have taken upon themselves to delete these apps, set limits on themselves, set timers, uh, set restrictions on themselves to, po to police their own behavior on these social media apps because they realize they don't have a healthy relationship with the amount of time, energy, um, and emotional investment that they're making disproportionately. And that's scary to think about that people become obsessed. And I bring this up also because here's the thing. We talk about accountability. What if you react to something like, let's talk about, because I know that there's some people here who say, well, what about this circumstance? Or what about that circumstance? Or what about this one? Let me ask you then about another hypothetical. What if you decide to participate in the culture of accountability, online vigilantism? What do we do with you when you get it wrong? See, no one has a really satisfying answer for that. What do we do if you get it wrong? Let's marinate on that for a minute, shall we? What do we do? What's the appropriate accountability if someone participates in an online harassment mob because they're justifying it under the pretext that I'm going after a bad person, I'm going after an evil person, and they say horrible things. And let's say it ends really badly. You can imagine how, on your own, I'm not going to spell things out for you, it ends badly, only for us to find out that the person you harassed was innocent of the things that you were saying about them and that you were convinced by somebody else. Maybe you were convinced by someone else. It wasn't your fault. It was what was put in front of you. But you participated and you reacted to something without confirming or understanding the truth. And you didn't have to do that. And you were part of something very bad that happened. How do you live with yourself now? How do you live with yourself knowing that you con you contributed to that outcome? How do you live with yourself knowing you contributed to that outcome and you made a choice to participating in something thinking that you were doing right and it ended badly, which is bad enough on its own. But now on top of that, you find out that you were also wrong and you didn't have all the facts or it wasn't true at all. What do you do? What's the appropriate punishment and consequence for you? Should there be one? Because one, you already have the consequence of living with your guilt forever. But what are you going to do with that? Are you going to stay offline? Are you going to commit to that? Are you willing to sign that on paper that if you ever, you know, uh, participate in the culture of quote unquote accountability or council culture and it ends badly and you're wrong, how are you going to make amends? 
how are you going to even the scales? What happens to you? What happens to you? Do you go away on social media forever? Yes or no? Are you willing to do that? So if, if that's the answer, then why are you risking that and giving up all of that, giving up going away out the internet forever when you don't have to participate in this? You don't have to put your energy into this. You could just go on about your business. You could do that. And the thing is, most people wouldn't commit to that. If they got it wrong, they'd feel bad. They'd feel guilty. They think about it sometimes. They'd go around and they'd still do the same thing because guess what? They had no accountability. They had no material consequences and their own guilt and shame wouldn't probably be sufficient for a lot of them to leave. And we've seen it. We've seen it, and it happens, and it happens. So if you join the mob, it ends badly, and you and the mob are wrong, what do we do with you? And then how can we do anything with you because you're not held accountable? You're not required to give up your ID to the platforms. You're not required to answer for that. The platform isn't going to kick you off for being part of a harassment campaign that ended up literally – physically destroying somebody in that case and only to be wrong you're not going to be there's not going to be any justice for the family in terms of holding you accountable but you are demanding it from everyone else what do we do with you see we're nothing because we can't do anything with you we can't do anything about you if you if that should happen there's nothing you have nothing to fear see you can literally destroy a person destroy an innocent person in a way that they can never come back from. You can be completely wrong, proving wrong. They can be vindicated, but it's too late. Their name can be cleared, but it's too late. And nothing bad will ever happen to you unless the universe decides to do something about it because there's no way for anyone to hold you accountable. You see, that's the problem. That's the problem with taking anything into your own hands. And by the way, I say this as somebody who was physically the victim of vigilante justice. I don't talk about this a lot, but I was someone who was physically the victim of vigilante justice, racial profiling, and mistaken identity. And so that's why I care, and I kind of take this personally, because guess what? I've experienced the real-world version of what I'm talking about. I've experienced the real-world version of being targeted, mistakenly, identity, still would have been wrong to do vigilante justice, by the way, and was cornered and attacked and violently and viciously beating, beaten as an innocent person who fit the profile. Mistaken identity. Oh, we didn't know. Oh, how could we have known? The answer is you didn't have to do anything, and you could have let the authorities sort everything out and you didn't have to take matters into your own hands. So me personally, I have no patience and no real sympathy for people who take matters into their own hands because there's very little mechanisms to hold them accountable. It's hard enough to hold people accountable for vigilantism of that kind of nature fully in the real world, believe it or not. It's actually very hard to hold people accountable sometimes for these things in the real world when they happen. It absolutely is. People people do this and you could argue that, you know, well, what's justice? What balances the scales? What makes us square? You can't really make it square, you know? So in the online world, there's even less accountability. And it can be done anonymously. It can be coordinated. And it can be all under false pretexts. 
So if you're wondering, well, why are you out here and why are you so against quote unquote accountability and cancel culture? It's because the court of law in this country can barely get it right at a sufficient amount of times, you know, to get it more right than wrong, granted. But there's a lot of innocent people that are destroyed by a very inefficient process in the court of law. The court of public opinion is not qualified even close to the level of standard of scrutiny and absolute proof that's required to justify hurting another person. So guess what? I can't support it because in the real world, I've already seen it and seen what happens and experienced and lived it when people take matters into their own hands and when people are absolutely convinced that they are right and don't entertain what the possibility or consequences or harm is of getting it wrong. Getting it wrong matters and you can't take it back. There's not a control Z. There's not an undo button. And there's not always sufficient ability to hold you accountable if you get it wrong. So I don't accept the idea of the pub of the court of public opinion's ability to hold people accountable because it doesn't work if we assume that the possibility exists that they can be wrong. What do we do with you if you are the if you're playing judge and jury out here? What do we do with you when you get it wrong? And how do we hold you accountable? And what's the mechanism? And if the answer isn't, and by the way, even you going away off of the internet forever would not be a sufficient and appropriate and proportionate consequence to getting it wrong or contributing to destroying anyone's life or livelihood. It's not good enough. That's not balanced. That's not square. That's not good enough. It's not even close. So since there's not a proportionate and appropriate way to hold you accountable if you get it wrong, I don't think that it's appropriate to be done. That's one man's point of view, of course. It's one man's point of view. So uh, that's why I can't support it, you see. Like, that's why I I can't get behind this idea of, um, of people saying, well, I need to hold this person accountable. It's like, well, how do we hold you accountable if you're wrong? What are the consequences for you? And are you willing to put that in writing? Like, what do we do with you? What's that look like? What's appropriate? What's proportionate? And the thing is, if you don't have an answer to that, because here's the thing. In our exact system, well, how do we hold people with power accountable now, right? That's already difficult. And those are people who we can get uh, a badge number. We can get a controller number. We can get a physical ID. Uh, they might be a sitting member of Congress, whatever. We already have a hard enough time holding – are elected public officials to account? How do we hold uh, anonymous groups of people on the internet to account for doing something wrong and for having that kind of power over people's lives? We can't even fully, truly hold publicly elected officials fully accountable. So like, maybe we need to figure out that first. Maybe that's a more important thing to do. Maybe that's where it should start. And we can work our way from there. I mean, because, I mean, we're being absurd at this point. We're being absurd when we when we think that we have the, the capacity to get these things right in the way that with the, with the absolute sense of absurdity or that we know what's appropriate or that, again, 
like, okay, and what about us? What if we get it wrong? What if we get it wrong? What happens then? Do we stop? Do we never do it again? It's like, what lesson is learned from somebody and how is that lesson enforced? How is it applied? There's no way to do that. And unless there's a way to do that, then you can't have a true culture of accountability. All you have is witch hunts. All you have is puritanical witch hunts. If you don't have a mechanism by which you also are held accountable if you judge wrongly. It has to, it has to be balanced and measured and it would have to be that you're on the line equally. And even though that doesn't fully make it square. You know, so it's it's the reason that I care about this is because again it's deeply personal to me in that way. Um, it also is because the the dynamics of and we talked about the importance of boundaries. There are people in the real world who are physically stalked and harassed, and people show up at their homes or their place of work. I've shared stories again where like influencers that I know have had. Um, fans stalked them at work. And thankfully, everyone was safe in that situation and it was harmless. But what if it's not? What if it's not? What if somebody believes something about someone online and they show up to their family's uh, you know, home or to their place of work? Because then it becomes an altercation that's not limited to the repercussions of the online world. And then other people are at risk in that situation too. And you say, okay, well, that's unlikely or whatever. What if it's not? And we're we, like, not everyone online is a stable, um, capable individual with judgment. You can't know that. So what do you do for inciting something like that? And how do you prove incitement? Of a, of a real world event that started online. That's scary and it happens and it's real. And yeah, Andy Japandi is saying, I've heard stories of female J vloggers getting followed home by crazy old guys. Yeah, it's that's scary. That's a problem. Um, Nightmare Neil speaks says it's actually very likely. Yeah. Um, oh, Elliot says, uh, even at our small size, we had someone show up at our past apartment. That's terrifying. That's scary. Yeah, no, that's, um, that is scary. That is, um, terrifying. Um, it's things like that. I, I was at an event, um, with a female influencer and there was someone who thought it was flattering that they had literally, um, how do I tell this story? Um, so there was basically a situation and this person, um, I think was, I want to use the phrase overly familiar um, with this um, female streamer or was trying to be overly familiar. She was trying to be very kind and very nice about it, but she communicated to me that she did not feel safe, right? She communicated to me that she did not feel safe and that um, the comments that this person like made, well, they could be taken like, you know, as a joke or whatever that's like, um, both online and in person, that it um, made her feel very unsafe and very uncomfortable. And so I made sure to stay close with her, keep an eye on her. Um, and it was it was very uncomfortable for me too. Um, this was something where I was weighing options and figuring out like what what I was going to do in this situation. 
um, if things got dangerous or escalated. And I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't very fond of the options that were available to me in this situation. I did talk to security when I got a chance to kind of make sure that they were keeping an eye on the situation as well. And it was to a point to where it was like not appropriate for me to not <clears throat> literally walk her to a car and to actually get into the car with her, even though I was still staying at the hotel for the event. I had to make sure that not only did like we get to her car, that but I had to literally like accompany her and then get dropped off back via Uber at the hotel later just to make sure that she wasn't followed to her home from the event because she was a local. That's like scary. That's terrifying. That's like a real world, like that's the internet, not staying on the internet, following someone into the real world. And she was genuinely shaken by this and terrified. And we still actually have conversations about that night sometimes. Um, because it was a very uncomfortable situation. And I genuinely thought that, you know, it was going to be a situation that escalated. And, you know, you don't want to have to find yourself in that situation. You don't want to have to make the choices that come along with that. You know, it's, you know, there are things out there that make me sometimes wonder, like I said, if it's possible over an extended period of time for most people to have healthy relationships with the social media platforms, with the content platforms, with the influencers and the parasocial relationship dynamics. And I'm not against social media. I don't demonize technology. You know that I say we have to take individual responsibility and I don't blame the tech. But... It is something that I think about in terms of we don't understand how this affects us and why it affects us. We don't fully, we don't have that. We don't have that fully figured out in a meaningful way. We don't know everything about what this looks like long-term and if it is healthy for us as human beings. We, we just don't have that answer right now. And so... It's something that's on my mind quite a bit. Quite a bit. Um, Miss Maddie, thank you, uh, says, it seems to happen to a lot of streamers, both men and women. I saw a clip of a Korean gamer having a stalker knock at his door when streaming. Jesus, yeah. No, I've seen that before. I've seen things like that. It is quite terrifying to think about. Yeah. Amanda Caldwell says, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. Probably has to be my number one fear when thinking things through about if I should be going online uh, at all. I want to be safe, but I also have a family. Yeah, there are, there are things you can do, you know, um, as best you can to, uh, you know, protect yourself and, you know, yeah. But, I mean, you, you can do everything you think is right. And 
you can do everything you think is right and you still might not be able to fully like protect yourself which is also frightening to think about uh sma's sky says i had a different friend who was doxxed by conspiracy theory people they posted his address where he worked and made up stories and emailed his boss that's terrifying that's terrifying and so you see this is the kind of thing that I genuinely am concerned about because it doesn't stop at, oh, well, we got the right person here. Or we got the right person here. We got the right person. Here. It doesn't stop at that because what isn't talked about is all the collateral damage along the way to the ones where it's like, yay, we did it. It's, it's something we don't think about. And again, I'm not, by the way, this is not me out here trying to hand out passes to anybody on anything. This is me trying to have a real conversation with you about, um, the, the the problems that exist culturally within platforms are human problems that are amplified by technology. They're human problems that are amplified by technology. And so we have to really think about, well, what is the, like, what are we doing here? And how are we going to learn to live with this stuff? You know, like, what does that mean? Vari Studios TV says, Sweet Anita had a stalker and a horrific story. Um, yeah, people can be crazy out here sometimes. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's crazy. See, the thing is, Twitter as a platform, all social media has its issues, but Twitter in particular as a platform rewards uh, people with instant dopamine, gratification, the seeking of attention, clout, all of these things. And it's largely become online blood sport, which is radically unhealthy, radically unhealthy. And uh, uh, people can find themselves addicted to this. And even just addicted to consuming negativity, doom scrolling was a big problem during the pandemic. We've talked about that before. Doom scrolling is a very bad behavior, but the bad behavior is addictive as well. Yeah. Adrian Reddick says, I don't show my kids online. I don't need strangers in parasocial relationships with them. It's really concerning to me. It's something I think about all the time um, for for content creators that have young children. It's something that me and many of my clients have actually talked about. And we've talked about safety protocols and things like that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely much more concerning in terms of what can happen with um, young people, like not only just small children, but young people, even in terms of teenagers. Cause like I said, um, Young people can be doing stupid things to impress their friends, or they can think that they're part of an inside joke, or they can think, oh, well, I'm a nobody. I'm an, I'm anonymous. I'm a nobody. I don't have followers. And then, you know, one day maybe they do. And then it's like, what? Are they really supposed to be held accountable at 20, 21, and 22 for stuff they did at 15, 16, 17? That's stupid. That's dumb. And we would never do that to people in the real world. In the real world, we don't typically punish someone at 20 and 22 for stuff they did at 15 and 16. We only really do that in the culture of Twitter and TikTok and Facebook and so on. And and it's it's really stupid. It's really oh, and Reddit, obviously. Like it's really, really an embarrassment to our culture that we think that that's what accountability is. The fact that we think that relitigating 
somebody's content or stupid opinions or stupid tweets or stupid Facebook post or the memes that they were doing, the dank memes thing, like, and we that were rehashing and relitigating and deciding to punish someone for who they were or what they thought five or ten years in their past. That is the mo- that is one of the most disappointing indictments of our society and our culture, and it makes us look absurd and insane. And any rational historian years from now is going to lambaste us for it and say how stupid we were, and we'll deserve it. And we'll deserve it. We're absolute morons for thinking that that's what accountability is and appropriate. If I resurrected our great-grandparents and our grandparents and I explained the scenario to them, they would say that we are acting pathetic and stupid and like ignoramuses, they'd probably go out to the backyard and cut us all a switch. And we'd probably deserve it. (laughs) Because if that's what constitutes just like a justified amount of our attention, then we don't have problems. And I'm being serious here. If that is what constitutes like the, the need for our attention, how, how bad could we really have it then? Cause like, that's not accountability. We were taught what accountability was. We were held accountability by by our parents, hopefully. Hopefully, we were taught what accountability is. And it was done for our betterment, not for the self-satisfaction of people that it doesn't affect in a material way. It was done for our own good and with our own good in mind. And it was done in a way that wasn't meant to be damaging or scarring or, or shaming. It was meant to be instructive and informative and to teach us proportionality of consequences and appropriateness of consequences. That's what real accountability is. Real accountability is not for you to feel good about like, oh, I held someone accountable. It is for them to be in a capacity to do good and to keep doing better and to have made a a significant improvement in the way that they think and in the way that they behave and in the way that they address things in life. Holding someone accountable is treating them like someone you genuinely concern yourself with, continue to have in your life, and want to know that they're doing well and that they're behaving in a way that brings good things into their life and won't have negative and hurtful consequences for them or anyone else. That's what accountability is. That's what accountability is, and that's and we're showing that hopefully by having good parents and good teachers and good people in our life that want good for us and want to continue to be a part of our life. There's not like, think about it. Think about it. Does that sound at all like the accountability culture of the internet? What I just described as being a good parent, a good teacher, a good friend, a good uh, um, uh, adult or leader or mentor in someone's life who wants to better them. The accountability that I just described that hopefully most of us grew up with. Does that sound at all like the way people behave and hold people accountable on the internet to you? Does that sound like the culture of Twitter to you? Does that sound like this quote-unquote accountability culture? It does not sound that way to me. It sounds like something very different. I don't think people on the internet hold people accountable in such a way as to actually teach them 
a meaningful lesson that can be applied to the rest of their life. I don't think they have their best interest at heart or acting in good faith. I don't think they're teaching people in a way that shows that, hey, I intend to continue to be a part of your life and your journey and want what's good for you and the people around you. I have no faith whatsoever that the accountability culture expressed in Twitter through the form of cancel culture is that. I've seen no evidence that it's that. I don't think any of you can honestly say in good faith that you've seen evidence that it's that. Because we know what accountability looks like. We were held accountable by people in our lives. We were held accountable by people who had our best interest at heart. We were taught right from wrong, most of us. We um, were taught proportionality. We were taught consequences. And guess what? That's not what we're seeing here. It's not consistent with that at all. There's no road to forgiveness. There's capitulation. There's forced compliance. There's compulsion. There's shame. Grace, forgiveness, tolerance, a learning opportunity, a growth opportunity, not holding it over someone's head indefinitely. That's not there. That's not there. When you hold people, when you hold young people accountable in your life, tell me. When you hold young people accountable in your life, do you relitigate everything they did five or 10 years ago and throw it in their face and beat them over the head with it? If you do, you're probably manipulating them and you're probably doing that to extract something from them. If you want what's best for them in life, if you want them to grow up to be whole, you don't do that to them. I think there's no value in me browbeating a 23-year-old for what they did at 27. I also don't think there's any real value in me browbeating a 30-year-old for what they did when they were 25 or 21. None. I don't think there's any valuable in doing that. I would never probably do that to somebody. In fact, the times that I think I have even remotely done that, I've immediately thought back on it and regretted it. And in some cases, I've apologized. In other cases, I've made it right as best as I know how to because it's not really fair to keep doing that to somebody. It's not fair to keep punishing somebody over and over and over again for a person that they're not anymore. That doesn't make sense. You don't have to necessarily forget that transgression. By no means do you have to forget that transgression. But I don't know that it's appropriate to continue to punish them for it after the fact. Or if they, oh, so-called got away with it back then and you didn't address it back then, I don't necessarily know that you need to do it now or that's helpful in any meaningful way. It's just self-satisfaction at that point. And then we should just admit that that's what we're doing is that it's like, oh, well, this isn't for their better betterment. It's to make me feel better about the fact that they exist. Because let's be very real here, what we're talking about. None of this is to make these people better people. None of this is to help them. None of this is to fix anything. None of this is to allow them to move forward and operate in a better way in life. It is solely sort of the satisfaction of, of the people saying, well, I got them. I got them, or I called them out, or I got them, or they won't get away with it. That's a selfish thing. That has nothing to do with making the world a better place. It's self-satisfaction. Because we know what the act of trying to make people better looks like. We've experienced it, hopefully, uh, through good people in our life. When we've made mistakes, when we've needed to learn, when we were young, we've experienced it. If we had good people in our life, hopefully, you've had good people in your life like that. Um, Hopefully I've been a good person in your life. You know, there's, there's something to be said for that. You know, and again, I, I could just be incredibly naive or biased 
because I might just be reflecting as a near 30 year old, per, like 38 year old person. I'm 37, soon to be 38 here. Maybe I'm just nostalgic for a time that was very different. And the fact that I grew up before the internet existed, maybe I'm out of touch. Maybe I'm out of touch. Maybe I'm a relic of a bygone era, and this is just me not getting with the times. Maybe I'm just old man Roberto out here. I do think that sometimes. Sometimes I think I'm just out of touch. Because I did grow up in a world where the internet didn't exist. <laughs> I, I think that sometimes I genuinely believe that I'm out of touch. And that I can't relate to this culture or, or the next generation of young, young people in any meaningful way sometimes because they grew up in a world that, and from the day they were born that I didn't get to see until I was 25 years old or so. The world of the modern internet and social media wasn't real until I was about 25 years old. They've grown up with it most of their entire lives. They've certainly grown up with it their entire adult life. You know, I've been using the internet for longer than a lot of these people have been alive. I've been using the internet for more than 25 years. More than 25 years now. Wow, I am old. I've been using the internet for more than 25 years. I've been using the internet longer than the average social media person has been alive. Back in my day, you know. Um, so, yeah. I like I've been using I've been using the internet longer than these platforms have existed longer than most of these young people on the internet that are the primary users of the internet have been alive. There are more than 3 billion people in the world like under 30 there's more than 2 billion people in the world under 20. So there's like 2 billion people on the in the world many of them using the internet. And I've been alive significantly longer than all of them. I think about that almost every single day. I think about that almost every single day. So I'm not just joking when I say I think I'm out of touch. Um, there's part of me that realized there's a disconnect from people who grew up with everything being instant, everything being Wi-Fi, everything being fast, everything being free. There's a massive disconnect and difference between growing up in that world versus the analog world that I grew up in. And so we've had radically different lived experiences. And I'm concerned that we're, we're creating a culture that accelerates and exacerbates anxiety insecurity, a sense of internalized shame, um, unworthiness, and paranoia, but also uh, a fixation with attention. And so it's something that I dwell on quite a bit, and it becomes a recurring theme of this podcast because I don't necessarily know that we're doing right by this generation. And I don't know that we have the tools to do right by this generation because I feel that there's some massive 
there's some massive failing here that's taken place that we haven't reckoned for and that we haven't fully, fully reconciled. There's some, there's some massive failing that exists within the lack of critical thinking, the, the vulnerability to mob mentality, the reactionary nature, the lack of emotional regulation. We've done something wrong here at some point that creates this these consequences, this culture is a consequence of something we didn't get right in the equation when we were developing and uh, proliferating this technology. And I'm not blaming the technology. I'm saying that this is on us. We did something wrong along the way. And this is just a manifestation of that. And I don't know what we did, and I'm not exactly sure how we correct it. But it can't, I don't know that it, it's like, I don't see how we look at it and don't acknowledge that it's a problem. Like, I think we've massively somehow managed to desensitize people. We've managed to desensitize people. We've managed to make people massively insecure and anxious all the time we've also somehow simultaneously helped breed a massive amount of arrogance and um, certainty self-confidence that hasn't been earned by any accomplishment and then we scaled that and we scaled that And I don't know what the, I'm not pretending to know what the answer to dealing with that and reconciling that is. I just am at least acknowledging that, hmm, we did create some problems here. And I'm not blaming the technology. I am blaming us for not um, thinking through socializing people in such a way as to adapt appropriately to what this technology offers and to use it thoughtfully and responsibly and i think maybe this is just a maybe and i understand that there are problems that come along with this what if the problem was the fact that we started with the position that you should be anonymous on the internet see i'm beginning to think that we shouldn't have a massive divide between our expression as digital citizens and actual citizens of the world. And if we're going to talk about accountability, the best way to hold everyone accountable would be for all of us to just be exactly who we are on the internet that we are in the real world and to have the consistency of that. Now, granted, you can, you know, play a role, you can do all these things, but in terms of accountability, well, what if everyone was verified? You remember, um, God, what was the movie? It was The Incredibles, right? It was The Incredibles. There was a villain. I believe his name was Spectrum or something like that. And he had a quote. He said, if everyone's super, then nobody is. Um, and it's an interesting idea. 
it's an interesting idea. You see a disconnect in the culture of people like verified versus unverified. You see that divisiveness, right? Well, to be verified, and a lot of people don't realize this, to be verified, you have to confirm your identity with a government ID. You have to confirm your identity with an ID and say, okay, this is who I am. And you have to give that information to the platforms. Now, that information doesn't have to necessarily be public, but it has to be given to the platforms. What if to have a social media platform or access to one, everyone had to tie their account to their ID so that they're, you, you can't just, oh, I'm just going to spin up another account. Your behavior is unilaterally tied to your identity inextricably. Your online behavior as a digital citizen, you're held accountable for that in the real world in some capacity. Obviously, it's reserved for like the worst of circumstances, not just arbitrary things, right? Now, I understand there's massive problems with that, and that's not a perfect solution. But here's the thing. If the internet kind of basically back then, I don't know what we do now, but if think about it. If the internet had started back then with there not being a differentiation between your analog identity and your digital identity, we would behave differently because we would have started from the basis of being held accountable. We have started from the basis of not feeling like, oh, well, that's the internet. It's not real. Because I think one of the biggest problems is, well, people say, oh, well, that's just the internet or, 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 or Twitter's not a real place. And I get that. And I even I say that sometimes, right? But the thing is, if you knew that you couldn't just make another account and that your history essentially follows you from account to account and that you can't just like, oh, I'll just start over. And you knew that, oh, everyone is verified. Everybody has a real identity, and if needed, it can be confirmed, and they can be held accountable. Everyone's online behavior would be radically different. Well, maybe not everybody. Some people's online behavior, the majority of people's, might be radically different. Because those of us who use our real name, our real face, and our real identity, like me, Roberto Blake, like I am everyone who's met me an event or in the real world knows that I'm pretty consistent with who I am online, that it's very much of what you see is what you get uh, byproduct of um, years of working a, a nine to five job and uh, having to wear the mask of agreeableness and be a yes man to survive and get a paycheck and live paycheck to paycheck. It's like saying yes to everything for years and years and years. By the time I didn't have to do that, it's like, nope. And so what you see is what you get. Here's me. No mask. And so why? Because, uh, well, I did that. It wasn't fun. Uh, so ah, here I am. Yep, this is it. It's too hard to create and contrive a persona. It's too exhausting. So here I am. That's it. It's me. I've been doing this for like, what, 10 plus years? I've been a public figure for like maybe 10 plus years. Been a public figure for 10 plus years. It's like what you see is what you get. What you've been seeing is what you've been getting for 10 years now. It's not been a problem. And that's because I'm consistent. But the other thing about that is also I didn't come to the internet until I was already a grown adult who'd lived a life and worked a career. If I had been a teenager when this stuff existed, oh, maybe that'd be a problem. Maybe that'd be a problem. And again, a lot of people are like, well, I, I don't know about trusting the uh, platforms with my identity and my credentials. It's like, if you want to be verified, you have to do that. By the way, if you want to monetize your platforms, you have to give them your government ID, 
uh, your tax IEN number. If you have a business, you have to file for a business license. You have to do these utilities. You have to think about it. You have to give up your identity to get a utility. You have to give up your identity to collect money for this for tax purposes and stuff like that. It's like you don't really fully have like the anonymity you think you do if you're trying to do this anywhere, if you're trying to collect any money from it, or if you're, I mean, so think about it. Like how much more of a step is that? How much more of is it a step to give the platforms your ID? It's not really a big one. It's not really that meaningful. I mean, for some people and maybe in other countries, it would be, And I mean, you know, uh, China, for example, that might be different. Like, and they're already doing something like that over there. I believe something like a social credit score or some nonsense like that. But you know, um, and Don, the developer says, well, that's monetization, not simply having a voice online. That's a huge difference. Is it? Because at this point, everyone wants to be, ask a young person today, well, what do they want to be when they grow up? They say a content creator. They say an influencer. They say a YouTuber. They say a streamer. Almost every young person, without exception, says that. Well, there you go. So you say, oh, well, that's just monetization. That's not most people or that's not having a voice. It's like, maybe not yet. Maybe not yet. How far off are we from everyone wanting to be monetized? And by the way, it was everybody on YouTube, by the way, in 2012. When YouTube opened the floodgates of monetization on the YouTube platform and anybody and everybody could be monetized from day one. You had to create an AdSense account. You had to give up your identity and your credentials and all of that from day one. If you wanted to make money and everyone did, which is why YouTube boomed after 2012. It was because the floodgates of monetization opened up to the partner program. Because back then you didn't have the 1,000 subscriber requirement. You didn't have the 4,000 hours of watch time requirement. Everyone seems to have forgotten about that. So yeah, you do. Like, because here's the thing. Now, you have an entire generation of people who want to monetize. It's an entire generation. So that makes it very interesting. And that's, again, that's another thing we have to reckon for. That's another thing we have to think about. Like, just because it's not the way it was when we started or, like, when we grew up or when we came up or, oh, monetization wasn't a priority back then. It was just having a voice. Well, that's not the case anymore. Now it's having a career. Now it's a career. And now it's the career, the career that everyone wants. And that's different. And that's different. And what are we teaching people, by the way? Think about it. Do we really need to live in a world where we're grooming an entire generation, we're raising an entire generation, we're raising an entire generation to believe that it's appropriate to never let somebody's past go and to hold it over their head forever and to use it and weaponize it against them the minute that we disagree with them or the minute that we don't like them anymore. We're teaching and raising an entire generation to believe that that's okay. And we're doing it in broad daylight. That's a problem. And we should be embarrassed by it. We should be embarrassed by that. Um, Lonesome Lenny says, what if you aren't concerned with monetization and you just want to podcast? Well, technically, if you want to podcast in perpetuity, 
longevity. You want your podcast to grow and to do things like at some point you have to sign up for podcast hosting. Well, what's that mean? Well, that means you have to use a credit card, which means you have to use your real name and identity because you have to pay for hosting because hosting ain't usually free. But even if it is, you have to sign up with a different hosting account that might be a free one, and you still would have to use a real legal name and do all the things and put your real information in. Sure, you're not verifying that with a government ID, but you're also agreeing to the terms of service and agreeing that all the information you put in is accurate and is correct. And if it's not, then they can terminate you if they find any reason to find that that's not correct and that's not the proper information and not your legal given name. Like, we have the illusion of anonymity, and to some extent we have it forward-facing and interacting with other people. I'm not entirely convinced how appropriate it is going forward. I've understand reasons for it now, and I have like friends who are faceless YouTubers who haven't really revealed their identity, so I can see a lot of sides of this argument. I'm just playing devil's advocate right now, if anything. I'm entertaining a thought exercise, if you will. Like I'm going through a thought exercise, and part of this is I'm just wondering, what if we just stop allowing for 100% anonymity, and then we have 10 or 20%? But would that what would it look like and what would the consequences of that be? And I think it's interesting because if we talk about accountability mattering, well, that's what it would look like. Or that'd be a beginning of a mechanism for it. That'd be a way for it to actually exist in a material and meaningful way would be for you to not just be able to spin up another random account without it being tied to your real life identity. Tying your virtual identity to your real identity is real accountability. And if we're not advocating for that, then we can't really call ourselves a culture of accountability, in my opinion. In my opinion, if there's not a mechanism to tie someone's behavior online from a platform standpoint to their real-world identity in a meaningful way and not allow them to be able to circumvent it by just creating another anonymous account, in a, if we don't do that, then there's not accountability. Uh, Don Developer says that um, that forces people to share their information with platforms that are breached once in a while, trusting these platforms to keep your information safe is an illusion. There are government websites that are breached and don't have that information safe. Who? There are also massive entertainment platforms. Hulu's been hacked. Netflix has been hacked. Sony PlayStation Network has been hacked. I believe Nintendo as well. Like, there's like the several of the major banking institutions. One of them lost a truckload of hard drives. There's no such thing. Like, we, there's no such thing. Like, that, I gave up the belief in that back in the days of MySpace. I was like, oh, no, it's privacy's over. Like, <laughs> like I was like, oh, privacy's dead. Because um, here's the thing, back in the days of MySpace, there was a movie called The Born Identity. I used to watch, they were in a skiff room and they had like uh, 30 people working round the clock to collect in under 72 hours information that is literally just in your, your MySpace profile back then and now your Facebook profile or any of your social media profiles if you're like using your real name, like Facebook in particular, Facebook or MySpace, you do that. You literally created the same dossier of information that it used to take 30 people round and working round the clock in a government skiff room 72 hours to compile on you. It's right there. Your dossier is like your Facebook profile is just a dossier. It's just a dossier. Here, 
your friends and family list, your known contacts and associates, associates, your top make what we used to have is we used to have top five and top 10 list. Congratulations. Here's my top five uh, known associates. That's like, that's what we used to have. Oh, where have you lived in the past and everything like that? Oh, great. It's like, where do you check in? Oh, you have my patterns now. You have my, like, literally, like, oh, my likes, my interests, my books, my friends, my family, the places that I've lived and moved and everything, the places that I like to frequent, how often I frequent, checking in on them, oh, the patterns and so on and so forth. The information that used to take a government skiff room of 30 people working round the clock to compile is just called your social media profile. And it's been that way for 15 years now. Privacy died with the founding of MySpace and Facebook. Like, let that marinate for just a minute. <laughs> like, that's, you know, that's there. There are so many things like that, by the way. There's so many other little things that we don't realize where we gave up um, uh, privacy or choices for convenience a little bit at a time. That's another conversation, to be honest with you. That's another conversation. I just want us to marinate on the fact that it's like, I, I think we've reached a place. I'm not blaming the technology. I'm not entirely blaming Twitter. I think these are um, social and cultural issues that come from us just not um, holding ourselves accountable and instead choosing to ignore that and holding other people accountable. We don't hold ourselves accountable. We don't hold platforms accountable. We don't hold institutions of power accountable. We don't hold people with real power accountable. We find it more entertaining to hold strangers on the internet accountable for blood sport. Because now it's just the new arena. This is just throwing people in there as gladiators or with lions and you know wild animals watching them gore each other. It's like that's that's what like Twitter has become internet blood sport now, in my opinion. Largely. It's not entirely that. It's not entirely that. But everybody like what somebody said once that on Twitter, there's a main character or a villain of the day, and the goal is to exist on the platform and not be it. That's literally just existing and hoping that you're not thrown into the Hunger Games or into the Coliseum as a gladiator. Um, that's all it is. Because you're just sacrificed and offered up to the masses as as blood sport and for entertainment. You're You're destroyed and gored for their entertainment so that they can feel satiated about whatever misery they're going through in life. And it's, and it's a shame that that's where we are as a society in the most um, decadent, enlightened, overeducated age that there's ever been with um, the tremendous blessings of technology that have given us opportunities that our ancestors could have only prayed for, would have never believed possible with all of this potential, with all of the opportunity right in front of us, this is what we do with it. This is what we do with it. It's sad. It's sad. It's unjustifiable. It's pathetic. And I don't really have an answer for doing something about it. Because, uh, I mean, what can I do? I can sit here and I can complain. I can illustrate and lay out the problem. I can articulate it as, with as many flowery words as I would like in a condescending fashion all I want. And it won't necessarily change anything. So there's that. Depressing as that might be. <laughs> but. I mean. 
I think we can do better. <laughs> I definitely think we could better do better. We definitely should do better. Yeah. I think that we take so much for granted. We take so much for granted. We are living in probably the most blessed and privileged age that human beings have ever experienced. Ever. And how do we how do we use that? What do we do with it? Well, some people do great things. They do amazing things. Most of this community is doing tremendous things. I would even dare say a lot of you are creating awesome things and you're sharing them with the world. But at the same time, we can't ignore the fact that not everyone is using the opportunity in the same way. Now, here's why I don't think you should delete your social media. And I don't think you could should um, have a completely cynical view of your accounts. Let me talk about some upsides real quick before we close out the program. Let's transition. Twitter has been the place that, believe it or not, I've met some of my best friends in social media. I've gotten some of my best interviews and best collaborations. Um, it's where I've gotten some of the most inspiration. It's where I've gotten an encouraging word. I would have never met great friends like my friend Viper, who uh, co-hosts live streams with me on my main channel. I would have never met some of the wonderful creators that I've always looked up to if it wasn't for our interactions in Twitter, like uh, Justine and Jenna Zarak, better known as I Justine and her sister Jenna. Like they're wonderful, tremendous people. If it wasn't for uh, connecting on Twitter, I may not have like actually gotten to know them in person. Uh, my friend Sarah Dici, uh, we largely, I think, met and connected back in 2016 because of Twitter. Um. You know, her fiance, John Hill, same thing. Um, who else? So many great people. Um, so many. And I think that those relationships are built on Twitter and Clubhouse and Facebook and Blab, rest in peace, Blab, and the early days of Meerkat. They helped build and shape my career. I got some of my brand deals because of that. I got some of my first speaking engagements because of that. I met some of my best friends and relationships and networking and all these things because I was in Twitter, the world's water cooler, the world's 24-7 like stream of consciousness allowed me to meet some of the coolest people I've ever met some of the nicest people I've ever met, some of the people who have made a real difference in my life. And Twitter has allowed me with uh, 50,000 or so followers to make a difference and an impact in other people's lives, to help people get jobs, to help people get careers. Something I do on a regular basis is whenever I see an opportunity come through my feed for people and people can be hired, I quote tweet it, big bold capital letters, the words opportunity and hashtag now hiring. And there are people who have gotten opportunities people have gotten jobs and people have gotten careers because I was there in Twitter to amplify something and get it in front of their eyeballs and it made a difference for them in their life in a meaningful way. And that's dope. And for me, Twitter has mostly been a positive experience. Mostly. In all the years I've been on Twitter... I've rarely gotten into arguments and fights and drama. It does happen from time to time. You get hecklers, you get trolls, you get harassment. Um, some more than other, some people get harassed on Twitter more than others, <laughs> obviously. 
but mostly my experience has been good. I think there's something to be said for the responsibility of curating your feed. Yes, being responsible for your tweets, but also being responsible for who you follow, who you follow back. And largely, if I think people are combative, if I think people are bad faith actors, if I think people are there just to be angry, frankly, I just block them. And sometimes, yes, I do look at people's bios and I do preemptively mute or block people. I set those boundaries and say, nope, that's that's not someone I want in my feed. That's not someone I want consuming my content. That's not someone I want to interact with. It's like, nope, I just block people very generously, very liberally. And it's less about it being personal. And it's more just about my boundaries and just like I do not for my own mental health need this interaction and i do not need this person having access to me my platform my energy nope and that's it and it's not a conversation it's not up for a debate it's just nope you're gone you're dead to me i don't need the interaction i don't need your energy around me and i don't need you to have access to me or my energy you get to set those boundaries by the way it is entirely appropriate for you to say nope someone doesn't get access to me someone doesn't get access to my energy and no someone doesn't get access to my platform that's it. Like, and that's appropriate. That's appropriate. So no, I don't, you know, I, I don't think it's all bad, but I do think that there's a way to try desperately to have a healthy relationship with it. And so, yeah, consider just cleaning up your and curating your feed. I mean, I do that across all platforms. Um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, Facebook, uh, and delete Facebook. It's like, oh, I actually have a better relationship with Facebook than I do with Twitter these days, but I use it less. Instagram, same thing, but I use it less. I need to use it more, frankly. And frankly, I do need to grow my Instagram platform for brand deal purposes of nothing else. Like, um, I do need to be posting reels on the daily or something or every other day. I need to post Instagram stories every day is what I really need to do. So, yeah. Like Rodimus, uh, Rodimus Primal, a uh, friend of the show, fan of the channel. Um, Twitter was where I needed to actually uh, to begin to block people. It was rather eye-opening. Yeah, but, you know, I love Twitter in the sense that, I mean, I got to connect more with you and we got to talk a lot because of Twitter and DMs. And so... Um, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, yeah, there's many of you here on the podcast channel that are interacting with me on a regular basis in Twitter, and I appreciate all of you for the positive interactions there and for the good things. So, yeah, I just um, my thought on it is this, is that I I just sometimes look at these things and I think to myself. Are we holding ourselves to a proper standard, because what I believe we need to do is I believe that too many people are desperate to change the world without changing anything about themselves first and without working on themselves first. I always take from the standpoint of my own standards being the thing that has to be addressed before I decide to say that it's upon me to decide a standard for anybody else, right? And, and I think a lot of people are desperate to change the world, but not themselves in any like real way, right? And it's not about conforming to the world or this or that. It's more that I think largely about the fact that it's like, is this the standard of what I feel like? Is this as far as I can go? Is this where I want to be? 
And the thing is, if the answer is no, then I should just work on myself and that should be more of a priority than anything else. And so I think deciding that working on yourself is more of a priority is important instead of thinking like how much like, oh, you can influence or change the world or do this or do that. I really think you strongly need to focus on yourself and that accountability begins with you. If you're not, if you're not holding yourself accountable, there's no point trying to clean up somebody else's yard. There's none. There's just no reason to in my, in my opinion. And it's not about you. Oh, I have to be perfect or I can't say anything to anybody or criticize anybody. No, it's that you have a limited amount of time, limited amount of energy, little limited amount of focus and bandwidth. Why are you not good enough to be the recipient of most of that attention? Why are you not good enough to justify you being the focus of your limited amount of time limited amount of energy and that emotional investment why are you not allocating most of that to the betterment of yourself what would be so wrong with that because here's the thing if the majority of us do that there's very little need to hold anyone else accountable because then we're we're doing it ourselves if we all take care of ourselves there's very little reason to need to hold anybody else accountable right therein lies the answer Therein lies the answer. It's the best conclusion that I can come to. It's maybe, it may not sound realistic, but the best conclusion that I could ever come to is that um, if we just work on our own standards for ourselves and hold ourselves accountable, the natural consequence of that is that the world improves over a period of time due to our impact on it because we're working from its foundation of being better incrementally i think everyone's in a rush to just flip a microwave switch and wake up to a better world and i don't think that's realistic or appropriate well hey what do i know <laughs> what do i know So again, I, I just think that one of the most important things we can do is just be thoughtful and mindful. And I think that we have to consider that the best emotional investment we were going to make is probably to focus internally on just really working on ourselves. And then beyond that, the sphere of people in our immediate influence that we want to see do better and that we can hold them accountable in a meaningful way by treating them as somebody that we want good for and that we intend to keep in our lives and that if we're going to teach them something in a lesson, we're going to respond to what who they are today, not who they were five years ago or 10 years ago. And we are going to do it in a thoughtful way that shows that we value them, we want good for them, and that we're not going to exile them from our lives because we want them to do better. We know that we can do better and we're going to be there to see it happen. Like, and if, if and again, if we're not going to do that, what's the point? If we're not going to do that for people, 
What's the point of pretending we care about them? If you're not willing to do that, why pretend you care? It's just virtue signaling at that point. It's just lip service. Because accountability is not about punishing or scolding. Accountability is about wanting what's best for the other person, what's wanting what's good for the people around them, and wanting to put them in a position to be bettered by the experience of learning how to create a different situation and a different set of circumstances that do not have harmful consequences for them and other people. And to truly do that effectively, you actually have to give a damn about them. You actually have to care about them and you have to be more invested in their betterment than in you being right. And in them acknowledging that what they did is wrong and that you're right, you need them to understand that there are better ways to go about themselves. And if you can't do that, you don't have the right to hold somebody accountable if you can't do that for them and if you can't care about them in that way. It's not your place then. And it should be left to somebody who can do much better than you. Yeah, I said it. I said what I said. That's my feeling. That's my opinion. That's my stance on it. Because I think if you aren't doing that, then you're doing more harm than good because you're damaging them. And we're all going to have to live with, with ruining the day that you did it. If you damage somebody... Like if you damage somebody under the guise of holding them accountable and you then self-congratulate themselves yourself and then we have to live with the consequences of the person that you shaped for the next 30 years, we're not going to thank you for it. <laughs> we're not. Like that's just truth. So like do people a favor and focus on yourself if you don't understand how to truly help people grow. If you want to learn how to help people grow, really think about what was meaningful and helpful to you that you're so grateful for and give that gift to other people. And if you're not capable of that, then work on yourself first. Work on yourself first. And guess what? It's okay to be that selfish. It's okay to make yourself your number one priority until you are better. And until you feel that you're able to make your greatest contribution, it's okay to focus on yourself until you feel that you can make the best contribution that you're capable of and you've become a version of yourself that you're really proud of. It's okay to focus on yourself right up until that moment. Why are you not worthy of all the attention and all the energy and all the time that you're willing to give to holding other people accountable? Well, what about you? Why are you not worthy of being a recipient of that investment? That's something to really think about. And I think that's a good place to leave it today. So I want to thank everybody for joining the show. Um, and as we close out, just remember that as usual, uh, we do the podcast every week. And I'm trying to do it if I can, Monday through Fridays, as often as possible. Um, and that we do have a Q&A on the YouTube channel for the live viewer experience as an after show. So for those of you still in the audience, stay tuned for the after show. For the audio only listeners, I bid you farewell as we close out to the intro. Stay awesome and I'll catch you on the next one.
This episode has ended, but your creative journey continues. Visit createsomethingawesometoday.com and access all links and resources mentioned in today's show, all designed to help you create something awesome today.